Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Adeline Grace. Adeline is a New York Times bestselling author of All the Stars and Teeth, which was named 2020's Biggest YA Fantasy by Entertainment Weekly. Prior to becoming an author, Adeline spent four years working in live theater, active as the managing editor of a nonprofit newspaper, and studied storytelling as an intern on Nickelodeon Animation's popular series, The Legend of Korra. Local to San Diego, Adeline spends her non-writing days by watching too much anime and by playing video games with her dorky dog. Adeline's newest book, All the Tides of Fate, releases this week. Adeline, how are you feeling with a book coming out so soon? Good. It's weird. It's very like a surreal feeling because how publishing works... You know, you write it so far in advance, and then you're on the next project when the book comes out. So it's like dipping my toes back into this world I had so much fun with. And it's just, yeah, it's just a really surreal experience. I'm excited to share it with everybody. I mentioned in your bio that you're local to San Diego. Have you always been based in San Diego? And then I imagine, you know, with quarantine going on, you're writing in quarantine. So how has that affected you? Yeah. So I actually grew up in Arizona, in Phoenix, Arizona. I couldn't wait to get out of there because it's really hot and I do not do well with the heat. I get very grumpy. And then I moved to Los Angeles for a little bit to work in animation briefly. Decided I wanted to focus on solely my own projects, my own writing, specifically novel writing, and made the shift over to San Diego. And, you know, my daily job hasn't really changed much in quarantine because, you know, it's very solitary initially writing like you are alone you are crafting your project before you're sharing it with everybody and my day-to-day has not changed much i will say it's not been great like not getting to see people and then when i want to go out and write because i used to be a huge like coffee shop writer now i might drive to the beach and like pop open the back of my car and like sit there with a blanket on the beach like away from everybody but still like with my notebook or my ipad so i can still write so day-to-day is not much changed, but it is definitely, it feels a little bit more lonely even, which is weird because as a writer, the whole thing, you know, for a long time feels so lonely, but I didn't realize I could feel even more like that in quarantine, but here we are. While we're talking about quarantine, obviously a lot of writers are going through what you described, the loneliness, struggling with writer's block, inspiration, all that. Do you have any words of wisdom for those who are listening who might be looking for inspiration and trying to get through that writer's block right now? Yeah, you know, it's tough. So when we first started quarantine, I was in edits for All the Tides of Fate. And it was a whole new learning process, you know, like with everything going on in the world, all the news, it definitely hinders your ability, at least for me. And I feel like a lot of people as well to feel creative. But I mean, my only advice would be to, if you have to, find a new process. If you have to do things that you know maybe didn't work for you in the past but feel right now, that's fine. Like every single project 
is different for me. Every single project has a different experience, a different process. And I feel like, especially since quarantine, mine has really changed. And it took me a long time to feel creative again. You know, I had to turn off the news. I had to turn my phone down, stop checking Twitter to see what Trump was doing at the time, you know, everything like that. I feel like if you have to take a step back, definitely, definitely take a step back because there's all this pressure, you know, and we feel the need too, just out of our curiosity and our existence in this world to like know what is happening. But that is not always conducive to our job and our creativity. So I would just say if you have to take a step back, take a step back. Also, if you can get out of your house safely to like go for a walk, that's really nice. That's awesome. Or I'll drive down to the beach and just, you know, feel feel the world again and like see that, oh, this is still existing outside of my bedroom. Like the world is still here and we will get back to it. So whatever you have to do to feel a little bit better and a little bit more creative, I think that is that's the only thing you can do. You know, it's it's a personal experience and something everybody has to figure out, I think, for themselves, what will make them feel that way. Adeline, before we dive into your process, can you walk us through your career trajectory? Did you always want to be an author? And how did you get to the point? You know, I know you mentioned it briefly, but can you get more granular with how specifically you got to a point where you've got both of these books done now and obviously Yeah. So I always wanted to write. I was kind of a weirdo where I didn't start by reading. I did not like fall in love with writing through reading. I actually fell in love with writing. It's really kind of embarrassing, but through Neopets, I fell in love with writing through the Neopets like role play boards. I think I was like eight years old and just stumbled my way there. And I was like, oh, people are writing about wolves. I think wolves are cool. Let me write about wolves. And ever since then, like, I don't know, just stuck with me. And I created, especially back then when you had no other, nothing else to do. You know, there was no bills. There was nothing. You just got to have fun with it. I would write thousands and thousands of words every day without even batting an eye, without realizing that like that is a significant thing. Like now when I write, I try to write 2000 words a day and it feels like a slog sometimes. So, oh man, back then it was so great. And then I didn't really realize that being an author was a career until I went to one of Stephanie Meyer's first signings for Twilight, because we both were from Arizona. So in Changing Hands Independent Bookstore, she had one of her like very early signings, hardly anybody there. And I went to that and I thought it was so cool. And people were like debating between Edward and Jacob. And I was like, oh, I want to create something that like has people debating, you know, that brings people to a room to discuss something I made. So that was my first, you know, insight that this could be a career. And I was in, I want to say like sixth grade. I was really, really young, maybe, maybe middle grade. And I just knew from that moment that that is what I wanted to do. And, you know, it took me years and it took me a long time to write something that ended up getting me an agent. I wrote three books before three manuscripts before I got my agent with all the stars and teeth. And those books, you know, they will never see the light of day. I am glad to have done them and to have learned from them, but they were definitely not right for me. They were definitely, you know, something to experiment with and to help me grow as a writer. But then I got into a writing program actually with one of them called Pitch Wars. And I got into that with a manuscript I wrote prior to All the Stars and Teeth. It is a huge, huge writing mentorship program that I would highly recommend to anyone who is interested in traditional publishing. You know, huge books have come out of it. I didn't get my agent through the program like a lot of people did, 
But through it, I really learned how to edit, which I used to think was just, you know, making a line sound pretty, you know, changing a couple words and making it read nice. And that's really not what editing is. It's diving in deep and getting your hands dirty and changing character arcs and setting and plots and everything. And I didn't learn that until, you know, I had a mentor or some people will have critique partners. And only when I really learned that was I able to kind of set all those other projects aside, focus on all the stars and teeth. I did get my agent pretty quickly with that one. And for traditional publishing, typically, I would say 98% of the time, you do have to have an agent to be traditionally published to get your books to editors. Because for the most part, they only accept agented materials. So I always knew I needed one of those. Got one. We went on submission, which is when your agent sends it, sends your manuscript to editors. And I was like, hey, you want to buy this? And we were there for a couple months, ended up finding a home with Macmillan Publishing. And that's kind of that, you know, it all happened very slowly talking about it. It feels kind of fast, but I mean, I did as much as I could studying wise in school. I worked at a newspaper. I wanted to study story and like different mediums. So I worked in live theater for a while. I interned, as you mentioned earlier on The Legend of Korra. And yeah, I just really fell in love with novel writing and fantasy in particular. So I'm very happy to be here and be able to do this and share the work with everybody. I would love to focus this episode on writing a duology, if that's cool with you. We can talk about both books. Is that cool? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Before we do, I would love to provide the audience, for those who don't know, with a little context. So I've got a brief description of the duology itself. Set in a kingdom where danger lurks beneath the sea, mermaids seek vengeance with song and magic is a choice. Adeline Grace's best-selling All the Stars and Teeth duology is a thrilling YA fantasy adventure for fans. Stephanie Garber's Carval, Sarah J. Moss's Throne of Glass series. I've got a quote, beautiful and bloody, vicious and charming, dark and romantic, let all the stars and teeth ensnare your heart and soul. And that's from Astrid Schultz, Four Dead Queens. The duology consists of two books, All the Stars and Teeth and All the Tides of Fate. All the Tides of Fate is the book we're talking about today, which is coming out this week. And I'm going to read the description for that. Thrilling sequel to instant New York Times bestseller, All the Stars and Teeth, called Captivating by Tomi Adeyemi, Vicious and Alluring by Hafsa Faisal, and Phenomenal by Adrian Young. Now, author Adam Grace is back with more high seas adventure in All the Tides of Fate. It's electrifying fantasy, perfect for fans of Stephanie Garber's Araval and Sarge Massa's Throne of Glass series. I do have the description, I'm going to read it real quick. Through blood and sacrifice, Amora Montara has conquered a rebellion and taken her rightful place as Queen Visidia. Now, with the islands in turmoil and people questioning her authority, Amora cannot allow anyone to see her weaknesses. No one can know about the curse in her bloodline. No one can know that she's lost her magic. No one can know the truth about the boy who holds the missing half of her soul. To save herself and Visidia, Amora embarks on a desperate quest for a mythical artifact that could fix everything but comes at a terrible cost. As she tries to balance her loyalty to her people, her crew, and the desires of her heart, Amara will soon discover that the power to rule might destroy her. So yeah, with that being said, what does one do? You're obviously doing a lot of these interviews. Are you just basically at this point waiting for the books to come out and see how the response is? Walk us through what's going through an author's mind in the week leading up to a premiere. It's funny. It's so, it's really tiring. You know, it's a lot of social media is the biggest thing. And social media, at least for me, is very draining. It is a huge time suck. 
you just fall into that rabbit hole. But for young adult books specifically, I feel like social media is such an important part of our job because that is where a huge percent of our audience is. And just being able to engage with them and make sure that they know that you have a book coming out is a huge part of this job. So yeah, lots of social media, lots of posting, lots of interviews and promo. And then the day that the book comes out, you typically have a launch event. So I'm doing a launch event through Mysterious Galaxy with Tomi Adeyemi, who's another young adult author, very wonderful author. And yeah, so I mean, that's basically, it's weird. Like I'm supposed to be, I have another book that I'm supposed to be editing and working on right now. But when you are in the week leading up to a book release, everything just becomes so consumed with that release and with social media and with promo and emails. Emails are a huge, huge part of being an author that I never really considered before getting into this. And they just like, they come in droves the week before a launch. As we dive into the process of you writing the most recent book, I would love to start with the inception, perhaps where you came up with the idea for both books. Did you know that it would ultimately be two books? And then how did you kind of think through working across two works? Yeah. So I didn't always know it would be two books. I knew I wanted to create a series. So with All the Stars and Teeth, I'll give like a quick little pitch for it. It is basically about a morally gray princess who is forced to team up with a pirate to save her kingdom from a dangerous magical new threat. There are seven different forms of magic in this book. There's man-eating mermaids, a whole lot of adventure. So especially with the amount of magic that is in this book and the amount of islands and places to go visit, I knew that it wouldn't all fit into one book. So I knew that there was going to be another one. But one thing people don't often know about publishing, specifically traditional publishing, is your editor and your publisher kind of like in control of a lot of things. So we pitched All the Stars and Teeth originally as three books. And this happens often. And then the publisher kind of got back with us and was like, oh, actually, we see this as two because, you know, duologies are really hot right now. That's what we see selling great. So let's do a duology. So then it's your job as the author to be like, okay, well, how do I fit my vision for this overall series into two books? And I'm actually really, really happy with how it came out. I think all the tides of fate, I mean, I had a blast writing it. And I think it is a very, very good conclusion to the main character's journey in this series. So I'm super, super happy with it. But yeah, it's something you don't often think about going into it is you can have an idea for one book, three books, four books, you know, a giant eight book series, but you might not get to write that. If you were going the traditional publishing route, like you might have to combine, you might have to condense, you might have to really make this book into one book, you might have to make it into three. You know, you never really know, which is why I think it's so important that if you're considering this route of publishing, to not put all your eggs in one basket, to not like query your book and then just automatically start writing the sequel because you don't even know if that sequel is going to happen. You don't know if that one book is going to get published. And if it does, how many books is your editor going to want? You know, it's a conversation that you have to have with everybody. Once everybody's involved with your agent and your publisher and your editor, it goes beyond you when you're actually in the publishing process and not the writing process. So with all the stars and teeth, yeah, we had that that conversation, decided it would be two. And again, yeah, I'm super, super happy with it. I think it was the right decision, but that's not going to stop me in the future if I want to still play in this world from writing a spinoff. You know, if I end up having another idea, you could always kind of go that route, assuming that 
you know, your publisher is interested and will buy it. But yeah, there's so much of this world to still play in that I'd love to like explore it further at some point. But for this main story, I'm super glad it was tied up in two. I think that was the right decision. And I'm super, super happy and proud of these books. Love that. As far as developing the book itself, and we're talking about the newest book, outlining. Are you an outliner? People are very polarized about this subject. Plotters and panthers, of course. Are you more of an outliner yourself? And can you walk us through your process of how, when you set out to write a book, how you kind of plot it out? Yes. I'm a huge outliner now. And I think the longer you're in publishing, the more you kind of have to be. So with All the Stars and Teeth, I didn't heavily plot it out, actually. I did a kind of like weird thing where I would plan three chapters at a time. And then once I got, you know, two chapters into those three, I would plan the next three. So I always knew where I was going. But nowadays, I plan everything. I use beat sheets. One thing I would recommend heavily is Save the Cat. They have a novel writing version as well as a screenwriting version. And I would recommend both of those. Honestly, they're so great. And I love the beats and the beat sheets that come with those. And I use those heavily when plotting out anything now. And it becomes more important because you know when you're selling the next project to your publisher, oftentimes you are not writing the full book and presenting it to them as you would if you were a debut author. Now that you are kind of in it and established and you have a record behind your name, you just kind of give them an outline of the synopsis of the stories. Like, here's what I want to write. Here's what happens. Are you into it? Which is what I did with my most recent project. It's called Belladonna. It'll be coming out in summer 2022. And yeah, you don't write it ahead of time. So it becomes more and more important to learn to outline. So you can have those conversations with your publisher, and with your editor, because you are no longer the only person involved with this. It no longer is a solitary business. When you step into the role of an author, it becomes a very collaborative environment. So it's, I think, super important to really get comfortable with sort of outlining and thinking ahead and thinking what you want to do with your stories. And also, it really helps me write. It helps me just know what's coming. Some people I know when they are what's called pantsers, flying by the seat of their pants, they think that you lose a lot of the discovery and fun in a story if you do that. That doesn't tend to be the case for me. But for those people, you know, they still have, there's still ways that they can get around this in publishing. You know, they might have to wait until they do write that full draft to then sell something else. You can totally do that if that is what is comfortable to you. For me, I definitely just think the collaborative environment, I like having that. And I like knowing where my story is going and knowing that my editor is also having like, you know, a vague idea of where my story is going as well is helpful to me. We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience Podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writerexperience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writerexperience for your free audiobook. What's your favorite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favorite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favorite movies in whatever form they take. 
each week I interview a different guest about their chosen favourite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favourite film will be next. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's a Classic podcast on the Flickering Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. So you can listen to us on Flickr and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. As far as the characters, obviously this book features a strong female protagonist. Can you walk us through your process of developing your character? Is there a list of things you go through, certain questions you ask that you need before you feel comfortable deciding, okay, this is who the character is? Yeah. And I realized I kind of missed part of this question when you asked it earlier, like what was the inspiration behind all the stars and teeth? So this kind of ties in as well. The inspiration for me was very much the main character. Her name's Amora Montara. She is the morally gray princess I mentioned earlier. So Amora has a very, (laughs) very dark magic that is, you know, I think atypical to what we normally see for our main character, especially from a female main character. It was really important for me to create a character who embodied, you know, her femininity and also the sense of adventure. So I created Amora kind of when Game of Thrones, the television show was going on and was at its peak. And there was a lot of debate between Arya and Sansa Stark. And, you know, how Arya was so much cooler because she could use a sword and she was cool and adventurous. And Sansa, a lot of people hated on her because she liked court intrigue and she liked boys and dating. But they are two very powerful women who have totally different skill sets. You know, one is not weaker than the other or cooler than the other. They are very, very different and both equally powerful. So I wanted to create a character who was kind of both of those things. You know, Amora loves adventure. She loves sword fights. She loves being in the thick of action, but also she loves dating and she loves court and she loves fashion and outfits and pretty sparkly things. I didn't want somebody who was strong because she had to give up one of those things. I didn't want, especially for a female character, I did not want her to only be strong because she rejected, you know, things that are typically thought of as feminine. And I think like the media has really trained us to believe that those are the only like powerful, cool kind of women. Like they have to reject all things feminine. They have to reject fashion and boys and be so above that to be considered cool and strong, which is just so wrong to me. It's just so awful to have just that societal norm put on women. So I wanted to create a character who was very much counter to that because I feel like the only way that we get out of that is to just have more characters like that. And I'm certainly not the only one doing this. You know, there's been a huge surge of them and a really positive growth, but unfortunately, women and female characters are judged a lot harsher than their male counterparts. And it's going to take a long time until that really levels out. As far as world building, you mentioned the magic systems as an example. Can you walk us through what magic systems mean, what they entail, and also your process in general for going through and creating a world from the ground up? Yeah. So for me, it was all about, you know, what do I love? And I think that is one of the most important things to remember as a writer. Oftentimes we think, you know, we need to write towards a trend or we need to write what's selling right now. And what do we think will get published, which is just wrong. 
first and foremost, because publishing is so slow. And by the time you write that trend and your book is like on submission to editors, that trend is probably dead. You know, it's probably over. So you have to write what you love. And I love big, flashy, fancy, fun magic. So creating these magics, I really literally just took a pen and a paper and wrote down all the magics I thought would be fun to explore and ones that I can think of a twist for. You know, so if you have elemental magic, maybe you use it in a different way where there is enchantment magic where people can mask their face and their image. And it's just like, how can you create these magics that maybe are familiar, but in a new sort of way? So I thought of those, I created a huge list, narrowed it down to seven, which is still quite a lot. But at that point, I just couldn't think of one that I wanted to give up. And then you think of, you know, the rules for it and how does it work? And for me in creating this world, so every single one of the seven islands, each is focused on a different magic and creating those islands. You know, I always started with the magic. How does the magic inform this world? How does it inform this setting? How does it inform what people do for their jobs there? How does that inform what they eat, what they wear, what this setting looks like? How does the magic influence all of that? Because I feel like when you start, especially in a fantasy world, when you start from the magic and build up, it makes the magic feel so much more ingrained in the world and in society and so much more natural. It doesn't feel like you took a world and just like threw magic on top of it. I wanted it to feel really like natural and it was just so, so ingrained deeply within this world that it influences everything people do. So for me, that was really, really important. And just, yeah, thinking of all those things, what they eat, what they wear, the jobs that they have, how can their magic influence the way they think? So for example, somebody with, like I mentioned, enchantment magic, where they can mask their appearance, you know, they can get away with a bit more when it, when they don't look like themselves, when they're doing something and have, you know, kind of that mask, that shield, and that could really change the way a person thinks. So yeah, for me, it was just, I wanted it so embedded so deeply within this world that everything just felt like it revolved around the magic. As far as themes, do you set out when you write, do you have a list of themes already? Or do you find that themes kind of come up organically by the time the work's finished? I think it comes up organically. I never set out and be like, I am going to talk about women's rights. You know, that doesn't really, that's never my agenda, but it's more as you are drafting, you're sort of seeing what you're going for. And by the time you edit, you're like, oh, this is what my story is about. Let's build up on those themes. Let's build up on those messages. So yeah, I never set out with anything. I think it's a very natural process to kind of really discover what you were writing about once you get done with your first draft. Actually, I would say 90% of writing is editing. And editing is so, so, so important. And first drafts for me, they look completely different by the time, you know, that book is like finalized and done. So yeah, I never set out with anything. Maybe some people do. I've never known anybody to do that. For me, it feels almost like, I don't know, I wouldn't be comfortable doing that. I wouldn't be comfortable being like, I'm going to set out to write a story about politics. But those themes do come up in the work and they come up in this world. And I feel like, especially with all the tides of fate, you know, it is very politically charged. For me, it's just like a natural reflection of what is happening in our world right now and an exploration of these themes in a different world where people can kind of see what's going on and think for themselves. That is what I prefer rather than being like, hey, this is wrong. This is right. 
I would rather have people read the work and be able to think about those things for themselves in a scenario where it's different in a fantasy world where things are different, but be able to relate them back to the world and be like, Oh, actually, wait a second. Like we do have something like this happening in our world and maybe it is wrong. I've never thought about that before. So rather than like explicitly ever stating anything to me, it's very much, I want people to think about things for themselves and weave those themes in without the book solely being about that. You mentioned editing. I would love to hear your process a bit more granular as far as, you know, you mentioned you have your first draft, which many people like to just get it out there. And then over the process, sometimes kind of continue to work on it to a point where it gets, you know, more and more refined. For your process, would you say it's like that? How many drafts does it take you? Can you walk us through just the process of going through it and getting it to its final place? Yeah, it depends largely on how much time I have. So with All the Stars and Teeth, that was my debut. That is the longest amount of time I will ever have with a book because that was just mine for a long time. It was just mine to create. And when I was ready, I got to send it out. You know, now I'm contracted and it's like, okay, well, it's due this day. Next draft is due this day. So I don't really have the luxury anymore of like critique partners or anybody else's opinion except for my editors, unless I really draft super, super quickly. So for me, I tend to draft 2,000 words a day. I'm making the shift over to just writing on weekdays because if you let writing and publishing consume you, it will just like eat you, devour you and suck away all your time. So now I write 2,000 words just on the weekdays and I probably go through about, I would say four to five drafts, but there are some many like micro mini edits in there, like little tiny rounds. If I have time, what I prefer to do is edit in rounds. So the first round, you know, I will focus on the world building. On the second round, I will focus on the plot and making sure all the plot threads are woven throughout the book, making sure like the pacing feels right. On the next pass, I'll do the characters. I think that is a way when you do have the luxury of time to make editing feel significantly less overwhelming. Because if you just have like this giant edit letter in front of you, or just like you finish a draft and you know you have so much work ahead, it can feel super daunting to open up the document again and be like, oh, okay, well, I have to change this character. I have to delete this character. I have to delete this plot thread and change everything about the world because my magic system makes no sense. You know, edits are like that. Like that is a realistic thing that you might have to do for your second draft. But if you can divide that work up into rounds and into stages, I think that is so, so helpful. So whenever I have the time, that is what I love to do. So I can just focus on that one thing. I can just make a pass for specifically characters and making sure all the character arcs are followed through. Every character wants something and every scene they're in, like they're working toward getting that and that goal. So I would highly recommend that if you have the time to do editing and rounds. Adeline, are you ready for a few bonus questions? We call yeah, a series of seemingly random questions. The first one, you mentioned working with editors and agents and working in the publishing industry. For those writers who are listening, who are interested, have their first works and are looking to send query letters, do you have suggestions for those letters, for finding the right agent and for getting their first book published? Oh my gosh, yes. I could talk about agents forever. My biggest piece of advice for querying writers is that no agent is better than a bad agent because a bad agent can completely ruin your career before you even have one. And agents, we are, there's this weird power 
dynamic, this weird power balance, especially if you are part of social media and you're on Twitter and you're on writing Twitter, where it seems like agents have so much power and agents are unicorns. But in actuality, an agent is your business partner. And if you are not comfortable talking to them, asking them any question, like making them advocate for you. And if they're not doing that, that is not a good business partner. So one, I think it's just so important to remember agents are business partners and not unicorns. I would highly recommend the website Publishers Marketplace. If you are querying, there is a monthly subscription. I believe it's $25 a month. And you can go on and you can type in the name of an agent or an agency and see all the deals that they have made. And what is super important is looking for somebody who is making deals to the kind of place you want to write with. So for example, I'm traditionally published by a, what's called like a big five publisher. It's one of the biggest ones. And if you want someone who makes those sales, you know, you have to do the research for it. So go on Publishers Marketplace, see, are they selling to HarperCollins? Are they making deals to Macmillan, to Penguin? And how much are those deals for? So Publishers Marketplace also has a breakdown. They don't give you the specific like, oh, this person made this much for their book. But sometimes it'll have a general idea of the level of the size of the deal. So for me, it was really important you know, to find an agent who has strong connections with editors who routinely make strong deals, who makes deals everywhere. You also kind of want to avoid, I would suggest somebody who just sells to one house and one editor, you know, they have three deals with one editor. It's like, cool, great that they sell to that one person. But if you want to end up in like a, an auction situation or raise the price of how much you're getting for your advance or really be able to like go out wide at all these different publishers and see what happens, you might want somebody who is a little more diverse with their portfolio. I would highly recommend, you know, manuscript wishlist is a good idea to get a consensus of like, who is looking for the type of stories you write. Also a great idea is to go look at books that you love or books that you feel like are similar and vain to the ones you write. Look at the back, look at their acknowledgements and nine out of 10 times an author will list their agent in their acknowledgement. So you can see right there, often on their website too, they'll have that information like who they are repped by. And if you feel like, you know, you write books like Stephanie Garber and her agent would be super perfect for you. You can go on her website or go look at her book, see who it is, and then go query that agent. Or go look at their website and see what their query details are, how to submit to them. But yeah, I mean, an agent, I even changed agents pretty early on in my career. So I'm on my second one now. And I think that is such a normal thing too. Because again, they're your business partner and you want to make sure that you work well together. And sometimes you just don't know that until you really get started and have been working with them and see what it's like to work with somebody. So be you know precious about who you are choosing to go into business with. Don't just rush in. I think with my early projects, I queried anybody who called themselves an agent. Like I did not care. I just thought once I get an agent, you know, that's all that matters. And that's really, really not how it is. There's actually pretty few great agents in this industry, which is why I would highly recommend Publishers Marketplace and really going on a search, like making your list of who you think could be a good fit and then researching the heck out of them to see how their sales are, who are they selling to, how often do they make sales? Because some agents, you know, their last sale was 2014. So they probably have great clients and 
are working with those clients, but in terms of like new projects they're taking on, they might not be taking on many. So that can kind of give you an idea too. The next question is if you could choose to take any writer, living or dead, to any restaurant, we usually say fast food restaurant, but no one ever chooses the fast food restaurant. So (laughs) which writer would you choose? Which restaurant and why? Oh, that's such a good question. That's so hard because for me, it used to be JK Rowling. I feel with everything going on now, I would kind of want to choose somebody new. I haven't given much thought to that. So that's a really cool question. Maybe Lee Bardugo. I am absolutely obsessed with Lee Bardugo. In my house, she's actually like, my boyfriend jokingly calls her Lady Bardugo because I talk about her so much. I feel like we'd have to go somewhere fancy, like a high tea place, because I feel like she's just so cool that I have to take her to like this high tea where they have tea, but also maybe fancy cocktails. I don't know if that place exists. I might have just invented it, but that is where we would go. The very last question, if you could choose one learning or insight from your entire career to pass along to the writers who are listening right now, what would you say? Yeah, I would say what I kind of mentioned briefly earlier to not write to trends, to just write what you love. You know, tropes get a lot of hate, but there is a reason that tropes exist. And if you absolutely love enemies to lovers, if you love, you know, memory loss, romance, like whatever you love, somebody else out there loves it enough for it to be considered a trope, you know? So just write what you love. Don't worry about the market and what is selling because by the time you're done with that book, by the time you are trying to get an agent, trends change so quickly. Publishing moves seemingly slowly, but on the outside, pretty fast. So just focus on what you love. And then second tidbit is just the agent stuff, like agent, not unicorn, business partner, which is so hard to just drill into the heads of new writers. I was the exact same. Love that. Well, thank you, Adeline. It's been a pleasure. All the Tides of Fate releases this week. Very exciting stuff. If you're listening, check it out. Adeline, did you have fun today talking to us about writing? I did. Thank you. I always think it's fun to talk about writing, especially in (laughs) quarantine time when you don't get to see anybody. Did you want to plug anything else before we go? I know you're working on some other stuff and you mentioned Twitter. Is there any social media or websites that you want to plug before you go? Yeah, yeah. If you would like to reach out to me or just follow along to see what I'm working on next, I would highly suggest my Instagram. It's author Adlin Grace. I do have a Twitter, but it's an updates only account. And next up, I'm working on a book called Belladonna. It is a gothic-infused romantic murder mystery, actually about a girl who can see spirits and who has to team up with Death himself in order to find her late aunt's murderer before he strikes again. And I'm having a lot of fun with it. It's a big, sprawling, gothic mystery in a manor called Thorngrove with a very eccentric family. So it's a lot of fun. So if you'd like updates about that, yeah, again, highly would suggest my Instagram and not my Twitter. Thank you again, Adeline, for your insights and your time. It was an honor. So congrats again on all the ties of fate and good luck. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.